The following audio is from a sermon series entitled The Sacred Life. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew eleven twenty-five through 30. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. For the last month or so, we have been studying what makes Christianity unique amongst every other religion and way of life in the world. Uh, We've been calling this series The Sacred Life. And it's really uh, kind of Christianity in a nutshell. Uh, The whole premise of this series is that God's work through Jesus, has given believers a new identity, an identity that is based upon the sheer grace of God. And when a person believes that and understands this new identity, this new nature that God's given them, it will radically reshape their life. We have learned that God has given us the identities of family, that the church is a family, and it should feel like a family, and it should function like a family. But we're not just a family, we're also missionaries, that we have been called by God and sent by God to restore all things back to himself. We are also servants. Jeff did a great job last week talking about our identities as servants, that how do we posture ourselves in this world? We, we take the posture and the identity of a servant. We don't expect to be on top, we don't expect to be exalted. We don't take a level of superiority. We come like Christ has came and we come to serve. That's our posture. And today we're gonna talk about our last kind of core identity that we have here at Sacred City that God gives us in the gospel. And that's that of learners. Now, you might not have, might have never heard it phrased that way before. Uh, but we get this word learner from the word disciple. A disciple is a person who has committed themselves to be a learner. And by that, that means a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I want us to remember, when I say the word learner, what I'm not talking about is intellectual knowledge only, right? I'm talking about being a follower, a disciple of Jesus, learning in all of life. Think of, when you think of learner, think of, um, thankfully, uh, when I wanted to be a church planter, uh, they called me out. I'd received, I'd taken some education and done some things like that, but they called me out and they said, now come live with us in a church and let us shape you. Let us oversee you. Let the elders speak into your life. Uh, they wanted a hands-on. They called it a residency, right? They didn't just let me start Sacred City Church just because I had some, you know, decent theology or some new ideas in my head. They wanted to shape me. Now, also, thankfully, you know, one of our, our, our other elders, Tom Lyons, he's a, he's a, a family practice doctor. 
Now, thankfully, he didn't just get to go to the University of Iowa and take some tests and then say, all right, let's experiment. I'll just cut you open, find out, right? He had to go for many more years to residency and he had to be there and he had to watch and he had to learn and he had to make mistakes and he had to be corrected, right? So this idea of learning is that more, much more of that of a residency. You learn by doing, right? An internship. It's not just a classroom where you come down and they deposit information into your head and you come up and you go, okay, now I learn, now I know, now I understand. No, it's learning by living. It's learning by doing, okay? So that's the idea we have when we're talking about being learners this morning. Uh, This means for us as Christians, to be a learner is to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. A Christian is not a person who asks Jesus into their heart. A Christian is not a person who believes that Jesus was an actual person and he did some historical things and he did, you know, some really nice things. A Christian doesn't just believe that Jesus was the son of God and he rose from the dead. A Christian believes all of those things, yes, but more than that, a Christian is a disciple or a learner who is learning how to submit all of their life to the lordship of Jesus. And one of the things that we're going to learn today is that learners of Jesus experience a supernatural, I don't use that word lightly, a supernatural restfulness of soul. That means their minds are at ease. Their hearts have been quieted within them. David speaks of this when he talks about his heart being weaned like a baby. His heart has been quieted. They have learned to rest well and enjoy wherever they are at in life right now. Their wills have been subdued. Would you like to experience that? Because here's one thing I know. With the promise, see, technology pro, technology never answers our problems. It only exaggerates them. You're busy? We'll help you be more productive. Right? You feel disconnected? Here's Facebook. Get a million friends. You're concerned about the problems in your world? Here's, here's a news source that will let you know the million more problems you weren't even aware of before right? And what does it do? It makes us, it gives us this restlessness in our soul. We don't know how to be present. We don't know how to connect. We don't know how to be still and be at rest. Our minds are always going. Our hearts are always spinning. Would you like to know what it feels like to experience this type of rest, this peace within yourself and this rest of soul that Jesus is talking about? Well, if you're new to Sacred City, Maybe you're just kind of checking us out this morning. Let me ask you to do one thing with me today. As I get going, I'm going to say some things that seem very narrow. They could very well come across as possibly arrogant or intolerant. And I understand why this is the case. And I also understand why you might have a very negative reaction to that. You might push back from that. But here's what I'm asking you to do this morning. Don't assume that because something is narrow or seems narrow, that it's somehow negative, okay? Just because something is narrow doesn't 
actually mean that it's negative. In a sense, what I'm doing is I'm asking you to come with me this morning and kind of crawl through a narrow tunnel, all right? But this narrow tunnel, once we get through it, it opens up to a wide open expanse, okay? So it's going to feel narrow for a moment, and it's going to open wide up. It's got a narrow entry point, but it opens up to this just beautiful garden of rest, ease, and bliss. That's what I'm offering, okay? So if you can shimmy through this narrow tunnel with me, we've got something on the other side, okay? I just did the work for shimmy. So if you didn't notice that, I just shimmied actually right there. So the problem is if you, if you reject this narrow entry point, you're never going to get to experience the rest that's on the other side, okay? So please hear me out this morning. Uh, let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. Um, normally, and we still do, we preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. We're starting Exodus uh, at the end of the summer. And before that, we just finished up Mark, but before that, we want to, uh, we're doing a few topical series, but still we want to preach um, expository verse by verse through books of the Bible. Uh, so if you're there, we have a Sacred City app if you want to find it on your phone. If you have a version app, you can hit live events, Sacred City right there. You can follow along with us. And that's what we're going to do. Um, so let's go ahead and jump into this. Let's enter together this narrow tunnel this morning. Verse 25, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father. So we're getting a glimpse into Jesus' prayer life here, okay? I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven, King of heaven and the earth, that you have hidden these things. Now, Jesus has been teaching, and people, some people have been rejecting it. Some people have been accepting his message. And the ones that are rejecting his message, he's saying, Father, I thank you that you've actually hidden these things, his teaching, from the wise and understanding, and revealed them to little children. Now, first off, Jesus is not anti-education. He's not anti-wise and learning, right? Read the book of Proverbs. Jesus is wisdom personified. Um, but what he's saying is there is a type of knowledge and a type of learning that puffs people up, and it makes us arrogant, and it makes us look down on others, and it makes us think that we've got this world all figured out, and we have this paradigm, and no matter what Jesus says, Jesus' truth must fit into our paradigm. All right? We do this today with worldview thing. We do this all the time. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. If you come to me with your own worldview, your own paradigm, and you expect me to fit into it, I, you're not, you, you, it won't work. You're going to be hidden. The ways of God, the Father, will be hidden from you. You need to receive a whole new paradigm, a whole new way of thinking, a whole new way of learning from me. Like who? Like little children. Right? Like little children. That's how little children learn. Um, now, let's keep moving. I'm, I don't want to spend too much time on that. <clears throat> yes, verse 26. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. It, it pleased God to hide things from the proud and reveal them to the humble. Verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. Okay, here's that narrow, we're, we're entering into that narrow tunnel. Jesus here is saying, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. Now, let's, let's just keep reading before I go too far into that. And no one, that's no one, that means no one, knows the Son 
except the Father. So the only one who perfectly knows the Son is the Father because the Father and the Son have dwelled in eternity together, coexistence for all before time existed, right? Eternity to past, eternity to present. Nobody knows the Son but the Father. But look what he says here next. And any, or no, and no one, again, that word no one, if you study it in the Greek, it means no one, knows the Father except the Son, but then I love, well, I love this little caveat, and anyone to whom the Son, Jesus, chooses to reveal him. Now, Jesus here is saying, God is my Father. Now, he's not talking metaphorically, nor is he speaking of being a human and just somehow one of God's many children. Jesus here is making a universal claim that he is the Son of God. This shows kind of the divine self-consciousness of Jesus. Jesus knows exactly who he is. Before I entered into Mary's womb, I was with the Father and I dwelled with him in eternity. I know the Father. The Father knows me. No one can know the Father unless they know me. Now, this is interesting. It says, right, 27, all things have been handed over to me. It's this narrow tunnel. Jesus is claiming to now be in charge of everything through the delegation of the Father. God has given him dominion. God has made Jesus the boss, but more than just the boss, he says next, no one knows the Father except the Son. This is what I'm talking about. This is narrow. Jesus here is claiming to be the only one who knows the Father. That means Jesus claims to be the only one who truly knows God. He is the only Son of God. That means Jesus is making a claim that supersedes every other religion on the planet. He doesn't say, I'm one of many. He says, I'm the son. I'm the only one who knows the father. He's not saying like every other religion on the planet, here's some things about God. And if you do these things, you'll be approved by God. Here's some ways you can know God. Here's some insights to get into a relationship with God. He says, I'm the only one who knows him. No one else knows him. There's no other way to God but through me. He's saying, I am God's son and I'm the only one who has known the father from eternity. The only one, listen, therefore, the only one for, the only way for anyone in the world to really know God, hear this. How does Jesus say? Jesus says, I know him and only those that I choose to reveal the Father to. Whoa, that's narrow. Jesus is saying, there's one way to God and it's through me and the only way to know God is through me. I will reveal it to you. It's the only way. You can't find your way. You're a blind man trying to find your way. You can't find your way to God. You can't. He can find you. Jesus can find you. That's the only way to know God. Now this is, I admit, it's narrow. Jesus says, I'm the only true religion. I'm the only door. I'm the only one who really knows God and therefore no one can go to God unless they come through him. But it's narrow. It is narrow. I admit that. But what if it's true? Isn't all truth 
pretty narrow? Two plus two is four. Well, that's a narrow definition. It's a narrow equation, but it's true. I think it's still true, actually. I didn't carry a one and then try to figure, I'm not sure how that works anymore. But it's true, right? You say, well, I believe just, I don't believe that. I believe there are many ways to God. Well, if you just think about that statement, there's many ways to God or all ways lead to God. Isn't that kind of a narrow statement? You're claiming truth, right? You're claiming your position to be the true one, your position to be the right one. Isn't that pretty narrow? You're saying that your way is right and every other way is wrong. By saying all roads lead to God, you're saying your way is right and Jesus, his way, is wrong. But I I digress a little bit this morning. I'm not going to focus on that. I want to talk about this narrow tunnel. Jesus is the only way to God. He's the only one that can satisfy our souls and give us rest and give us entrance into this wide open expanse where we can find rest for our souls. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about how you get through that tunnel and then what's on the other side of that tunnel this morning. So let's keep keep reading. Except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Verse 28. Come to me, Jesus says. Now listen, this is an invitation to come to Jesus personally. We sang that song this morning and tears came down my face as we sang, I will rise and go to Jesus. He will welcome me as his own. Whatever it said, something like that. Jesus here is saying, come to me personally. It's not just an invitation to believe some some historical facts about him or believe some doctrine about him. It's an invitation to know him, to come into his presence, to walk in into his presence and know him personally. But then look at this next word. So here, here that's, the, that's the narrow. Come to me, but then look at the next word. Come to me, all. Okay, narrow tunnel ex- opened up right there. Who can come? All. Well, there's some qualifiers on that. It's coming, right? The, we see the narrow tunnel begin to open up. Jesus ex- extends his invitation to all but that all right there has a qualifier attached to it. Who is it that Jesus calls to himself? All who labor and are heavy laden. Jesus calls the tired. Somebody's like, thank God. Got the right man this morning. He's calling the exhausted He's calling the worn out to come to him for rest. But what's interesting is we see here that Jesus isn't calling them to vacation. He's not looking at them and saying, come to me all who are worn out and tired and you'll never have to do anything ever again. Eternal Maui. It's more like a calling to a vocation than a vacation. Vocation, right? It's kind of like identity. It's kind of, you know, it is what you do. We think of vocation. Voca means to call, right? So it's this calling. It's this identity. He's calling us to something different. But how how do I see that? Let let me show you what what he looks, what he says here. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and what? I will give you rest. Jesus 
for the worn out and the tired this morning and the stressed out and the heavy burdened. Jesus wants to give you rest this morning, soul rest. But how's he gonna do that? Or what's he say? Look at this. That's how we know it's not just a vacation. Take my yoke upon you. Now, what is a yoke? I actually printed it off on the internet or put it up on the, put it up on the screen, got it off the internet so you guys could see this thing, right? Many of you probably already know what this is. This yoke, this beam, this wooden beam that goes across these two animals and they've got straps that go underneath it. And this yoke, uh, it's like a harness and a beam that allows you to unite two animals or people to harness their power, okay? Now, you when you do this, you get more output, right? That's one of the things that happens. Each animal has to work a little, you know, they don't have to work as hard as if if they're working individually and you get more output and it unites them to a kind of a common cause and a common goal and they're kind of driven one way. Now, a yoke is a powerful tool. It can drastically increase the output of a couple animals, but what happens when you yoke two different animals of a different size? Or what happens is if one of those is sick, one of those is tired, right? What happens? Well, what can literally happen is the strong animal drives the other one to exhaustion and it's death. And it literally drives it into the ground and kills it. Now, this is interesting. For me, I think this is interesting because Jesus when he looks at the, it's so weird. Jesus, almost like he mixes metaphors. He's like, are you heavy laden? Are you tired? I'll give you rest. Here's my yoke. Right? You, uh, you come to me, Justin, I'm really exhausted. I'm really tired. And I go, okay, here's some things that you can do. Here's what you need to do to get out of this. Don't you immediately go, homework? Do you think I needed homework? I wanted summer break, not homework right? Jesus, interestingly enough, though, says, you're tired, you're exhausted, you're worn out, here's my yoke. What's he getting at? I think he's getting at this. Everyone is yoked to something. Everyone is driven by someone or something in our life. There's something, we sang that song, center my life on your name. There's something at our center that drives us. There's something at our core that drives us. There's something that we're yoked to that drives us. It's interesting to me because a yoke is kind of a symbol of identity, right? If I owned an animal, I put my yoke on it. It's a symbol that I own that thing. Jesus is saying to us, Take off the yoke you're wearing now, put on my yoke. Come under my service. Come under my dominion. Come under my rule. Be yoked to me, not to whatever it is you're yoked to. So the real question here is for us this morning, if you're tired and you're exhausted and you're worn out, the real question is who or what are you yoked to? What drives you? Whose yoke are you wearing Jesus knows that every human being is yoked to someone or something. Now listen, here's what many people know. Many people understand this when it comes to bad things. Something at your center 
You know, you can, it could be a drug addiction, it could be alcohol, it could be pornography, and you become yoked to that thing and that thing drives your life. And where does it drive your life? It drives your life into the ground. It destroys your life. But what most people don't understand is it's not just bad things. Actually, sometimes the worst things to be yoked to are the good things. They're like the, the carbon monoxide of sin. You don't even know it's killing you until you're dead. If you are yoked, the thing at the center, the thing that's driving you is your kids. Well, we all love our kids. Our kids are great. But if you're yoked to your kids and you, you find your identity primarily in your kids and how well they're doing and how they love you and how they respond to you, you'll try to live your life through your kids. And they eventually will either run away from you in hatred because they can't be idolized, they don't want to be yoked to you, or they'll become so codependent upon you that you will actually damage their soul and they'll be living in your basement 30 years from now. Afraid to get a job, afraid to commit to a spouse, afraid to grow up, and you'll be like, I didn't raise them like this. Yes, you did. You were yoked to them your whole life. They were your center. Or parents, they leave and actually grow up and be an adult and you, your life, your identity implodes. I've been a parent for 30 years. Who am I now? The marriage, many times marriages implode. Why? You've been yoked to your kids for 20, 30 years. They are what woke you up in the morning. If you're yoked to money or success, you will live your life from promotion to promotion, deal to deal, and you'll never be satisfied. How much money is enough? More. That's how much money is enough. Always. Being yoked to success will drive you into the ground and can destroy everyone else and everything else around you. It will eventually kill you. It will take your life. You'll have a heart attack or a nervous breakdown or you'll be stressed out or you'll make one deal wrong and then what happens when, when you fail money? Money fails you. Money leaves. There is no grace with money. When you're yoked to money, when you're yoked to success, there's only one way and that's forward, head down, suck it up, do better, try harder. You're yoked to something that never stops. Why? Because money's not living. It's a thing just drives and drives and drives. Success, it's not attainable. Most unhappy people in the world are people who said, when I get there, I'll be happy, and they get there and they realize, oh no, this won't make me happy either. You can even be yoked to religion. Religion is an attempt to make ourselves acceptable to God. I don't know why, but I'm just, I'm digging the music selection today, Joel, and I'm just quoting your lines, okay? If you wait to be good enough, you'll never come, we sang this morning. If you wait until you have improved yourself, I'm gonna get my life right, and then I'm gonna come to Jesus, you'll never be good enough. It's religion. You feel like you're not good enough and God is not happy with you as you are. That's religion and it'll just drive you into the ground. You will be driven by the need to constantly do better and be stronger and try harder in order to either be accepted by God or to stay accepted, stay in a right relationship with God. 
And then ultimately, any, any of these things, once we achieve them, once we have worked really hard and we get where we thought, okay, I got the good job and I've got the nice house and I've got the kids and the good church and now I, I think I can just settle in and enjoy it, we find ourselves just as driven and laborious and exhausted and weighed down and under pressure because now we're afraid of losing what we've achieved. We've got it, but now we gotta keep it. It reminds me of the guy who gets the jet ski and the boat and the motorcycle and the truck and the pool and all he does is go from thing to thing cleaning them. He doesn't even get to use them. He just has to clean them all the time. He doesn't even get to enjoy them. Got so many toys, he just got to go from cleaning them to cleaning them to cleaning them. He doesn't want them to rust. See, what's going on in all these examples is that you're yoked to something that never stops demanding more from you. Your kids will always need more. Your job will always demand more. You will always have things in your life that you can improve about yourself. When we're yoked to these things, our identity just depends upon our constant effort and accomplishments and we just feel this pressure. Don't make mistakes. Don't fail. Don't show weakness. Don't be vulnerable because if you don't keep this up, you're going to lose it all. Many of us, we have this little voice in our head that says, keep it up or they're all going to find out about you. They're all good. And I'm not talking about like some hidden sin. I'm talking about you don't feel real. You don't feel genuine. And you think that like you've kind of gotten to where you are almost by accident. And so like if anybody really finds out that you're a sinner saved by sheer grace, that the ruse will be up and everything will be taken from you. You live with this constant pressure of being found out you're phony or a fake or you just somehow you got your PhD by accident. I just got really easy classes, I think. Because I thought when I had a PhD, I'd be really smart. And you get there and you're like, I don't know if I am much smarter, actually. In, in Kenya, it's funny. In Kenya, when I was over there, they call PhD permanent head damage. <laughs> That's what they say it stands for. And I'm like, eh, Possibly. So how do you know this is you? How do you know that you're yoked to something else? How do you know that you're being driven by something else? Let me ask you how, how will you do this. Um, people who are yoked to something else, um, they're always concerned about like, am, am I doing well? Am I doing okay? Can you tell me I'm doing okay? They, what does that mean? They're constantly kind of comparing themselves to others. People who are yoked to something else, they're exhausted. And listen, let me say this. It takes a lot to get me physically exhausted, okay? Physically, I'm not just talking about being physically exhausted, okay? I'm talking about being mentally, emotionally, spiritually exhausted, okay? A restfulness of soul. You don't know why you need to get on Amazon right now and order something, but you do. You need it. You don't know why. You just go back to Facebook 30 seconds later. Just, oh, I got two more likes. Okay. 
You don't know what's driving you. You're exhausted. You can't just sit and have a conversation. You can't just sit and stare at the trees and the wind blowing. You can't just be alone with God. And you think it's normal. Like that's what our society is going to convince us. This rest, this is normal. Accept it. You are very slow to admit weakness. You like to present your strong self, your put together self. You don't want people to actually know that you're broken and you're wounded and you have issues and you're, sometimes you're not kind and sometimes you're not friendly and sometimes you make mistakes and you're not good with money. You don't want people to know these things so you posture and position yourself so no one sees these weaknesses in you because they might just think you're human. You're very slow. You're, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And what's funny here is, listen, this is how you know you're, you're yoked to something that's kind of driving you. You've kind of got this false identity. When someone confronts you on a mistake, some, you don't even know why, but you get, you lash out. You get angry. So if you're yoked to your kids, when your kid, you have one teacher that says your kids did something wrong or they're being disruptive or they're doing something, and your first thought is, Wow. You're looking at this teacher like, I think it's her issue. Right? Your idol is being poked. And you, you know, they always say the mama bear comes out. Right? Somebody, you're at work, you're worshiping your work, you're yoked to your work, someone criticizes your performance, your comment in a meeting, your silly idea. You feel crushed. You feel angry at that person. You get this bitterness in heart going on towards them. You've been yoked to something other than Jesus. See, when my false identity is at stake, the thing I'm plowing with, when it's being attacked, I lash out, I get angry, I want to protect it. I'm so used to it, I've been living this way for so long, it's comfortable for me. But Jesus here, listen, when Jesus says, only people who get to know God are the people I reveal him to, and then he says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. That means Jesus wants to give us eyes to be able to see our own weariness and see our own burdens. And if you don't see your weariness and you don't see your burden, you don't see your exhaustion, your exhausted state of soul, then you're never going to come to Jesus and you're never going to experience rest. There, the world does not offer rest doesn't. It can't. I don't know how many men I meet who've, or I've read about and learned about who've worked their whole life for retirement and then weeks, months, year into retirement, they're dead. Jesus gives us new eyes. Now listen, I'm going to tell you this, this type of life, if this is you, and you would say you're a Christian, and you're still experiencing this restfulness of soul, this is an anti-gospel life. Jesus says, are you heavy laden? Can you admit that you aren't able to carry this work? You can't carry your children, their future success, their future salvation. You can't carry them. You can't be yoked to them. Business success in this climate, in this cult, in anything, you can't carry that on your back. 
You're not in charge. Can you admit you're exhausted? Can you admit you need help? Are you, this is what Jesus is in essence saying. This is how we would say it around here. Are you ready to trust in my works and not your works? See, this is the gospel. Jesus Christ came as the only son of the father to live the perfect life that all of us fail to live. Jesus was never yoked to anything other than the father. He never lived for the approval of people. He never lived for success and money. He came poor and a pauper and didn't have a house to lay his head in, right? He didn't live for comfort. He gladly walked face first towards Jerusalem and towards the cross for us. But this is the truth of the gospel, that when Christ died, his perfect righteousness was not regarded in the sense that he deserved heaven right away. He actually accepted our sinfulness on himself and was crucified by the Father so that he could be resurrected according to his own righteousness and by the Spirit of God because he never sinned, he never did anything wrong, so death didn't hold him, so he got up, but then he gives us gifts, gifts us his righteousness, the perfect works that he did on earth, being yoked perfectly to the Father always. He says, I'll give that standing to you if you put your faith in me. That's what Jesus says. And so for the Christian who believes the gospel, we're no longer judged on our own works. We're no longer on the treadmill or on the, you know, the wheel trying to earn a righteousness, trying to earn an identity. Jesus gives it to us by grace. So do you want this? Do you want to experience this rest? To those who say, yes, Jesus will give you rest. This is what it means when he says, come to me. Confess your efforts at self-justification. Confess your, confess your efforts at whatever you're yoked to. Turn from it. Receive a new yoke from me. Being yoked to anything other than Jesus results in soul slavery. It's exhausting. Jesus says, if you want to experience a deep soul rest, step off the treadmill, take off the yoke, and put mine on. Think about that. That means whatever you're currently yoked to, you need to do some soul work, you need to do some heart work. What, what's driving you? Is it the fear of failure? Is it your kids? Is it success? Is it the American dream? Jesus says, if you want to experience soul rest, you don't just take his yoke and put it over top of the other one. You must get rid of it, and you must put the new one on can't be yoked to Jesus and something else. That's idolatry. But here, I want to be careful this morning. I don't want you to hear me saying, if you come to Jesus, crawl through the narrow tube, and you all wake up the next day, and it's just heaven on earth. You'll experience this supernatural rest and peace. It's not what Jesus says. Look what Jesus says here. Jesus says, verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Whoa. Take my yoke and learn. Please hear me this morning. Jesus is saying those who come to him are into, entering into his residency program. 
Christians are lifelong learners of Jesus. See, I'm, I'm a Christian. I've experienced some of this deep soul rest that Jesus offers here, but I am still in need of learning from him. I yoke myself to other things. Most recently, I yoke myself to this concept of the perfect pastor, and if I can just be this perfect pastor, then I'll be well-regarded, I'll be happy with myself, the church will go well. Just be the perfect pastor, Justin. Oh, that's okay, let's do that. I yoke myself to this false identity and I burn myself out. You know what Jesus is saying here to Christians who are too busy, too stressed out, and they feel like they're being crushed by the burdens they're carrying? He says this, take my yoke and be a learner. What's he saying? Christian, you still have a lot to learn about Jesus and who he is and his way of life. So many of us think, well, I gave my life to Christ. Things should be better. He says, come to me, take my yoke, learn. Are you learning? I don't want to get there too soon. If you're exhausted this morning, you need to learn, relearn, re-relearn, re-re-re-relearn the gospel. If you want soul rest, you have to be a learner. What does that mean? Jesus says every single person in this world is yoked to something, and no matter what it is, job, spouse, money, power, comfort, the approval of people, it is an incessant taskmaster that will eventually drive you into the ground. But what does he say? He says, change yokes. Put on mine and learn from me. Now, many of us, listen, I want you to think about this. I hate to compare you to an ox, okay, but I'm going to. You're an ox. You've had a yoke on you your entire life. Many of you, many, some of you, I don't know where you grew up. I don't know how you've existed this long, but, and how you made it here relatively on time, but you, you had a yoke on your life that just said, hey, you just go sit in the corner, baby, and just relax. And maybe you just grew up in this comfort and this ease, and you never had to do anything, and you just, and you're, you're, Ta- your master just let you lay down over there, but, but most of us grew up with some kind of master, some kind of yoke around us, and we were constantly driven to be better and to make, make something of yourself. Now listen, if I am an ox that I've been beaten and I've been driven and I've worked hard all of my life, and then I come to Christ and I take this yoke off and I put his yoke on, what are my natural inclinations going to be? Back to work. Right? Many of you guys know my story. I was a wrestler. I like to dominate. I like to control. I like to get in there and get after it. And I became a Christian. And then I said, let's, let's do that for Christ. Just as hardworking, just as driven, just as exhausted. See, this is what, when Jesus says, take my yoke, learn. I, I, have, I hear Jesus saying, take my yoke. And this is what he says to me, take my yoke. Whoa, whoa, Heal, (laughs) slow down.
I love this. Jesus works at a different pace. Look what it says. Look what Jesus says here. This is the only place in the Gospels, I think possibly the New Testament, that I'm aware of, for sure, for sure in the Gospels, I'm aware of in the New Testament, that Jesus talks about his heart, what he's like at his core. 29, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Cardia, I'm humble. Take my yoke, I'm gentle and humble. And you'll find rest for your souls. Jesus is a humble and gentle Savior. His pace is slow, if you haven't figured that out yet. He is kind, He is gentle, He is patient. He doesn't lose his cool when you make a mistake, when you trip and stumble, when you veer off course. He doesn't expect you to be a superhero. He knows you, thankfully, scripture says he he knows our frame. He knows that we are dust. He knows your wounds and your weaknesses and he is gentle toward them. Take the yoke off. Take the yoke that says do more, be better, try harder. Take the yoke off and put the yoke of Christ on. He's a gentle master. And you know what? If you're yoked to him, you become gentle and humble. Oh, I wish Christians knew this. You think you prayed a prayer and now you're a Christian. You think you put the yoke on once or something and now you're just that and it's just on with your life. He says, put the yoke on, learn from me. What's he like? Humble and gentle. The more you learn, in this world, the more you learn, sometimes the more arrogant you become, the more proud you become. In the school of Christ, the more you learn, the more humble and gentle you become. Is that you? How do you respond when your waiter gets your order wrong? Gently, humbly? How do you respond when your kids ask you for the 473rd time if they can go to the pool? Gently? How do you respond when someone says, I think you did something wrong? How do you respond when you see someone else do something wrong? How do you respond when someone posts an ignorant comment on Facebook? How do you respond in your heart? 
if you are not gentle, or let me say this, this is a scale, right? Some of you, you've, you were like born gentle and you've always been gentle, right? My mom tells me I came out of the womb like, like that, okay? And I wanna say this, gentleness is not weakness necessarily. It's not being a pushover. Study the life of Christ. Some of you, I mean, we know Jesus went through the temple with a whip. He said really hard things. He did really hard things. But at his core, he was gentle. He wasn't angry who sometimes got gentle. He wasn't aggressive who sometimes got, he was humble and gentle who sometimes got angry and sometimes said really difficult, hard things. That's what real gentleness looks like. When you come to Christ, we need to grow in gentleness. Some of us, bull in a china shop, we're, we're on the way, right? Have you grown? Are you currently growing? Are you learning humility and gentleness? Can I ask you this? See, Jesus teaches us about him, or when, when we're in the school of Christ, we're becoming more like him. Some of you, I want you to hear this. Some of you want salvation. You don't want to become gentle and humble. You don't want to become like Christ. That doesn't even make sense. No one will get heaven unless they let Christ make them more like himself. This is sanctification. Do you want a humble and gentle leader? I need to hear this from you. Because I'll tell you what, I don't think in our society we value humility or we value gentleness at all. We want our athletes braggadocious, arrogant, big mouth talkers. We want our politicians the same way? Question mark? We want people with a swagger. Some of us want a preacher like that. Tell them how it is. We don't want a preacher who's gentle and humble. Forgive us, Lord. We want showmen. Entertain me. Make me laugh all the time. Make me feel good. Send me out. It's not Jesus. Jesus is humble and gentle, and anyone who accepts his yoke becomes a learner and will grow in humility and gentleness. If you aren't, you aren't a Christian. But thankfully, Jesus says, if you look at your life and you say that, like, He's given you eyes to see. Come to him, take his yoke, learn, be a learner. Not a religious consumer, not somebody who just shows up on Sunday. Be a disciple of Jesus. Father, this is a work that we are incapable of doing. We want to be made much of. We want to be exalted. We want to be on the pedestal. And that pedestal is reserved for Jesus. 
He is the only one who's high and lifted up. He is the only one who lived the perfect life. He is the only one worthy of admiration and worthy of exaltation because he humbled himself, even to the point of being a slave, even to the point of dying on a cross to save us proud, braggadocious sinners. Would you pry our fingers off of the yoke that we are carrying right now and remove it from us and place us under the yoke of Christ that's a light and easy burden. If the yoke we're carrying right now is not light, it's not yours. I can't carry the weight of this church. We can't carry the weight of our missional community. We can't carry the weight of our families. It's in your sovereign hands, under your sovereign control, and you are humble and gentle and working all things for our good and your glory right now. You don't need us. Father, would that truth bring rest to our souls? The truth that our actions don't justify us. Our works will never give us an identity that's firm, but your works have the righteousness of Christ. Father, I pray that you would do this work in our hearts even now as we confess our sins, turn from these other yokes and embrace you by faith. And now as we come to the table this morning, we would be reminded that the work is finished. You have made us right with the Father through your perfect life and death. And this, the night that you were betrayed, you took the bread and you broke it and you said, this is my body which is broken for you. You took the cup, you said, this is my blood which was shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And Father, we look to that body and we look to that blood and we're reminded the cost and the price that you paid for us and how much you love us. We think we'll never be loved until we be better. And you've already proven your love for us by giving yourself for us. So as baptized believers, this come down to this, take this table, Father, I pray that we would receive from you. And you'd be with us and leave with us today for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.